Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Post Post Podcast, where I talk to creative minds about their inspiring professional journeys. I'm your host, David Gidali, and this is episode 19. My guest today is Colin Levy. Colin just wrapped his latest short, it's called Skywatch. It's a 10 minute long sci-fi short, full of visual effects. I had a chance to see it, even though it hasn't premiered yet. Uh, and it's just amazing. Uh, he is such a great director, and it was such a pleasure to watch this short. Uh, the trailer's up, and I'm sure you can get you know a good impression of what the short might look like, but I can guarantee you the short is way better. Uh, and uh, it is a proof of concept for a feature film Colin is hoping to direct. I'm very optimistic that it might happen for him. I'm very grateful to have him on this podcast before he blows up, and I'm hoping he'll be back in this podcast after he blows up because he's a great example of someone who uses his talents and expertise to propel his creative uh, professional journey forward. I was quite frankly a little surprised to discover the breadth of work and portfolio that he carries behind him, uh, mainly because he sounds so young and the way he introduced himself to me through some Reddit discussion uh, made it seem like he's kind of an aspiring uh, filmmaker. But in reality, he is so experienced. He worked for Pixar as a layout artist on some huge films on Inside Out and Monster University and Finding Dory. Uh, and on the short film Lava, he was actually director of photography on Lava. And he also directed a few shorts for the Blender Foundation before and after he worked for Pixar. And all of that in his barely 30 years old now. And I also wanted to shout out to another short film that he directed called uh, My Grandfather's Memory Book, which was published as an op-doc by the New York Times back in 2018. It's really touching, it really spoke to me, and I found it uh, incredibly inspiring and uh, moving. I highly recommend checking it out. It's gonna be on the website as well. Uh, one last note, this episode uh, might have a little bit of background noise. Uh, we had our gardener working outside uh, in my new place in North Hollywood. I hope it's not going to be too disturbing. I've tried my best to hide as much of it as possible, but if it's still there, my apologies. One last thing before we dive into the episode. Usually I mention it at the end of the episode, but this time I figured, you know, you might not even get to the end. So if you like this episode, feel free to like it and subscribe to more episodes and really would be nice to get some feedback from you guys uh, in any way you want, whether it's by uh, re replying or leaving a comment in the uh, postpostpodcast.com website or by emailing me or by leaving any comments on whatever platform it is you're listening to it, whether it's on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts or Google Play, whatnot. Just do me a favor and let me know that you exist out there because I only see views. I have no idea how many people actually listen to the podcast and uh, find it rewarding. And that's it. Without further ado, I give you episode 19 of the Post Post Podcast. Cool. So um, I'm very excited to welcome Colin Levy. 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 Sorry. Uh -huh. let, let me start over. Okay, we, can, okay. we can undo that. Cut the first part. Yeah. Cut the first. <laughs> I already like such a blooper. Um, very excited to have you, Colin Levy, here uh, on a podcast. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for coming uh, so much for and visiting me. my place. This is the first podcast that I'm recording in my new house in you North have Hollywood. A beautiful house. 
Thank you. Uh, still working on that AC, so bear with me if uh, we. You probably won't it be able to see it. It is a hot day out there, but uh, at the moment it's pretty tolerable. Yeah, we'll give uh, we'll give a kind of a rating at the end of the podcast how much uh, how specular are our skins <laughs> by the end of it from uh, sweat. Mm. Um, cool. So um, I've heard about you uh, quite recently, and I looked, and I think the first thing that I saw you did was the documentary, mm-hmm. um, and uh, about your grandfather. And I believe you found like a secret book or something that he's been with uh, illustrations. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah. He, uh, my grandfather passed away a few years ago and he was an artist, a really uh, uh, incredible kind of hobbyist, you know, just doing sketches and watercolors throughout his life. But um, one, after he passed away, uh, my dad uh, sort of stumbled across this this particular sketchbook which was a memory book you know memory full, a sketchbook full of just memories from his life which he's I don't know he started I think and, and sort of kept in the later years of his life maybe over the course of three or four years and um, and they were so random you know there were random memories you know anything that occurred to him some of his earliest childhood memories memories of meeting my grandmother you know wow. I'm in there a couple times it's and it's so fascinating to just flip through and um i uh you know i've my grandfather is such a has been such a creative influence on me uh and i'm just such such a a fan of his work that i felt compelled to sort of make some sort of tribute to him in in the form of a film i've never made a documentary before but as soon as this um this document was found the sketchbook i just felt like oh my gosh there's so many stories to tell in here and um, and yeah, I made a, a very short. It's like a four-minute uh, mini doc, um, and it, it's sort of the backbone of it is just a conversation I'm having with my dad about my grandfather. Oh, um, cool! That ended up being um, quite a quite a, a fulfilling, gratifying project for me to you know start and work on, and and then uh, I've been really just blown away by the response it's gotten out in the real world. So I want to put it in context. You. Uh, uh other things that kind of contribute to your biography, you worked at Pixar as a layout artist for four or five years? Yes, yeah, something in between, right? <laughs> in, uh, you went up there to, uh, um, where's Pixar? In like San Francisco? Yeah, uh, just north in the, in right. the East Bay in, in sort of the Emeryville, Oakland yeah. area. Um, and are you from there originally or where are you from? From the East Coast, uh, from, the East Coast. from just north of Baltimore, Maryland. Oh yeah, yeah. which uh, where where in Baltimore? Uh, it's uh, Lutherville, Towson area. Oh cool. My family is in Silver Springs. Oh so okay. Maryland, so gotcha. Yeah. I went to uh, my a youth orchestra uh, at some point. I, I played violin growing up, and uh, my oh, dad nice. would drive me over there for that for for rehearsals and stuff. <laughs> my yeah, my uncle also is a bit, is a like his violin is his his kind of favorite. Uh, oh yeah. Instrument. He played it all you know through the childhood. I remember him yeah. playing it everywhere. Yeah, I miss it. I, I I still have a violin, but I very rarely pull it out. Oh. <laughs> but well, it's a little. You know. In some ways, it's like riding a bike. I mean. Yeah, you you uh, won't forget. It feels it. like an extension of me every time I yeah. play. I've gotten a little rusty with my vibrato and, you know, the <laughs> yeah, technique is, technique, you, yeah, you gotta, you gotta like brush it off and make sure that it's uh, up to par because it's, it kind of yeah. goes away. But yeah, the basics and like the feel of holding an instrument right. is, doesn't change. Yeah. I don't play violin. I tried a few times. For me, it's piano. Okay. But I, yeah, it can be a few months between uh, playing right. sessions, and then and I played it in my in my wedding too. I played oh, piano, awesome. and I had to like, oh, <laughs> can I still do it, or am I gonna like make a big fun of oh. myself? But, uh, it worked. 
it worked out well. But I so and and you also I guess after Pixar you become you became a, a director for the Blender Foundation. Yeah, I kind of actually worked for them before and after. It's sort of this interesting sort of bookend experience I had with Pixar because yeah. uh, the the first animated short that I directed uh, was overseas in Amsterdam at the Blender Animation Studio, um, and that was called Sintel back in 2009. It's like a 15 minute animated fantasy film right, yeah and uh that ended up being the project that got me to pixar oh and um so i kind of i was there then i went to pixar for four and a half years and then uh right afterwards i got an opportunity to head back there and get back in the director's chair and um and so i was it's it's just kind of it was a surreal experience because some of the artists were sitting literally in the same physical locations wow you know, from from my you know, first experience there, and I felt like a completely different person. You know, I'm sure. I, I think I turned 22 on that project, <laughs> and um, and uh, and and just also just coming from a studio of 1,200 or so, yeah, going back to uh, a studio that's very very small, eight or t- ten people worked on this film. It's a proof of concept called Agent Agent 327, based on a, a Dutch comic, right? And uh, that was a really fun experience, and I felt like I was able to apply a lot of a lot of what i observed at pixar to this new scenario i'm sure and uh, and uh having watched your new short that <laughs> we're going to be talking about no spoilers but i can tell from you know that, that you come from pixar if there's something there's a there's a signature there camera movements uh interesting you know the, the focus on storytelling and you know how everything kind of is util- utilized for storytelling um that's interesting to hear yeah i'm glad to hear that <laughs> yeah um and but kind of rewinding back, how did you even get the chance to direct uh, for Blender in the first place? Bef- yeah. As you know, I mean, you were what eighteen or seven? Uh, well, I first met um, those guys and and Tom Rosendahl in, in particular, who's literally like the chief architect of Blender, the software. You know, he's the lead developer, but he also is, is the producer of these open movie projects. Yeah. I met him pretty young, like I was, I think, sixteen or seventeen. I actually met him at a SIGGRAPH in 2006. Uh, oh, so that was like... In Boston. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, I was that Which too. you were there. Yeah. Right, we were just saying. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that was my first SIGGRAPH. And I heard that they were looking for volunteers for the, for the... It wasn't the Blender booth in those days. It was like all these open source projects pooled their money together to get one pavilion, one, one little booth. And gotcha. uh, Blender was a part of that. And they were looking for volunteers. And I was spending that summer in New Hampshire, which was just a quick train ride to Boston. And... Um, I kind of asked my parents and they were encouraging of it and then I got to go and um, it was I went by myself it was kind of a big, a big deal for me I'm sure and, wow it's um, 16 I rolled up and that, that was the first open movie project Elephant's Dream had recently come out and uh, I got to meet the team that put that together the crew you know and um, I met Ton who was kind of an idol of mine at the time because I, I, I basically discovered 3D animation through Blender and this uh, this community of artists and, and aspiring filmmakers um, on various forums, but one of them was Elysian, <laughs> which was uh, which is a Blender artist forum, uh, which is now BlenderArtists.org. Wow. So like you had a you were inspired by something, yeah. and you just basically met the person who created the software yeah. and got your first kind of opportunity to... Yeah, and I was able to show him some of the work that I was doing. I don't know if he was aware of... Because I was posting my work online since the age of 14, 15. What kind of work was that? 3D using Blender? Yeah, yeah well, I was... Uh, 
I was kind of experimenting with all sorts of things. So it was some live action stuff, uh, some visual effects tests, um, you know, After Effects compositing, fun. But then uh, some of the compositing like uh, effects tests involved 3D animation. Right. And so I was using Blender for that. And um, you know, adding little spaceships to videos that I was making, and did you know lightsaber battles, and there was this online Star Wars fan film forum, which I really credit for my interest in film, oh, because wow. uh, uh, that kind of fought, there was this community of people posting work, getting feedback and critique, and it was a really inclusive and welcoming space that, uh, were, and just so encouraging. You could post crap there. And people would be like, oh my god, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about 2003, four yeah. around that time, yeah? Yeah, something, something yeah. around there. Yeah, I think so, I remember similar forums back in 2001 or 2000. Mm -hmm. Like I started was Effects Home was one of them. Yeah, I was, was a lot, I was like, for me, the big one was CG Talk. CG Talk, And for uh, sure. they had the, all their uh, like Alienware challenges where yep. they would like, you know, the winners would take home an Alienware yeah. station and stuff crazy things like yeah, that or yeah. like and uh, 11 second club was was a or yeah, 10 second club was for really animators, awesome for animators for, yeah, yeah exactly. i remember participating in a few of those cool. did you too or yeah i did one or two i think yeah <laughs> yeah well, i had I, I knew i had no chance for those big competitions <laughs> <laughs> but i was always oh, like so man. taken by by the winners of that and i actually yeah. connected with it's funny how a lot a lot of uh real life friendships sort of came out of those online forum days and because uh, sigraph just happened last week i met someone uh, like literally four days ago, who I've been a fan of and aware of, following the career of for for 15 years. Wow! I'd never met him in person, and we finally were able to connect. Like I recognized him on the uh, he was grabbing dinner. It was like a big moment. <laughs> you bumped into him, and it was like, yeah. And it, how I mean, the hell do you know my name? <laughs> kind of thing. Well, he knew me too. We've been oh, it's really? kind of a mutual thing, and uh, we ended up uh, pulling up each other's work from those days on YouTube and hitting play. Oh, um, and just uh, reminiscing a bit. <laughs> yeah, one of my one of my recent uh, podcast uh, guests was uh, Tyson Ibell. Yeah, who... Tyson. I was I was going to mention him because he won many some of those CG Talk yeah. things, and um, I have a story about him. But keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I was just bringing him up because yeah. it was kind of a similar situation of someone who I. Um, I've been following since then, which is 16, yes. you know, maybe 17 years ago. And, uh, you know, finally had a chance to kind of sit down and talk to him just recently. And, you know, I was Fantastic. reminiscing of like, you know, pulling out old YouTube. Yeah. It wasn't even YouTube, some of that stuff, because YouTube wasn't even oh, right, around exactly. then. So I had to go and kind of, uh, you know, dig down some, you know, internet rabbit holes yeah. to find his like old website that even he didn't even realize was still, was still you know, was still up <laughs> and like find those old videos. Oh, you stuff. know what? I listened to that episode. That's what. Yeah, because uh, yes. that was like kind Maybe of the whole thing was... we're even talking right now. <laughs> that's hilarious. Was that the story you were going to tell me that you listened to? No. Just <laughs> no. What, what were you... Uh... Well, I was such a fan of Tyson. I yeah. would, uh, you know, this is a, this is a guy who can... is uh, a one-man filmmaking machine. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, can do anything, it just seems. And, and right now, as you talked about on that podcast right. episode, you know, he's, he, he follows his whims on, on an artistic level. Like... Uh, now he's developing this ridiculous uh, uh, plugin, you know, this this uh, sort of particle. I don't know how you describe it. Yeah, physics simulation engine uh, slash simulation particle. Simulation engine. He's like a hardcore developer now, but that's yeah. not where he started. 
And he just, you know, it, there's no challenge too big for this guy. Exactly. Anyway, I was, he was a huge inspiration for me in those days. And uh, we were talking about Simply CG, his forums. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was uh, mostly lurking there. But um, I knew that he worked at this, this company called Make right. uh, in Minneapolis. Yeah. And when I was in college, I was looking for something to do with my summer. And I wanted an internship. And I was like, why not Make? I would love to meet Tyson. <laughs> and um, I literally, you know, sent an email. I, I, I lined this whole thing up. I was invited to be an intern basically an unpaid intern. Right. And I drove from Savannah, Georgia to Minneapolis. To which meet took Tyson. Like three days. To meet Tyson. Guess what? He doesn't work there. Well, he works there remotely. remotely. Yeah, he's not there. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's physically... He's right. in Toronto, he's in Canada, I think. Right? Yeah, and I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, it didn't quite work out like that. I mean, I wasn't like uh, walking around the offices like, where's Tyson sit? Like, I, I discovered yeah. that at some point oh, that's... Um, earlier. But um, I had a up... friend who moved from Israel to Minneapolis to work for Make. Oh, really? And had the same realization. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's funny. Tyson is not around. That's how they lure He's not people. physically there. Yeah. I had a great experience. It was a, it was a whole long, you know, summer internship. And so, uh, and I actually met some friends, you know, there who ended up at Disney and, and you know, people who are out here now in Burbank. And, you know, we, we're, we're friends, yeah. which is awesome. Uh, and, um, but Tyson was the one who kind of instigated all that. <laughs> I think what we're talking like the kind of like the underlying, uh, realization that I've made over the years that we we're kind of touching upon is that, um, you know, you can get very far by just, you know, just reaching out to people that you, cause you know, mm. it's really easy to, to be on those forums and, and get, uh, access to those people. And I think that. Um, a lot of people either are too shy or they don't believe they're going to get answered or they, you know, they're afraid to, to be rejected or something. So yeah. they kind of like, even though it's right at the tip of your fingers, just like reach out and, and yeah. try. A lot of people are like, no, it's not, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen that way. Well, guess what? It does happen that way. You just reach out and, yeah. you know, you, you nice and polite and, <laughs> you know, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then you're exactly where you were a second ago. Right. And, um, it takes a little time, a little little effort, but it's it's definitely. Uh, I mean, something I don't know. I, I really found myself doing a lot of that, especially early on. Yeah. Um, because I, mean, I didn't I didn't know people in real life, so the only alternative is to reach out virtually through emails and and social media or whatever it was. This is kind of pre social media days, but it's how how inspiring is it to get to get some sort of response or to get someone to take a look at your work and give you some feedback. Yeah. And so now, you know, I, I guess I'm doing less of it these days, but I, my inbox is kind of full of those types of emails and I try my best to, to, uh, to respond and take a look at people's work and to, you know, kind of pass, right. pass it along. Uh, yeah, me too. I feel like, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm sensitive, sensitive to, or not like more, you know, I, I I respect people reaching out to me. I yeah. don't see it as a as a as a nuisance or or you know anything like that. Yeah. Because you know, but some people might. But you know, <laughs> then you don't want to work with them anyway. If, <laughs> right. You know, if that's their attitude and they don't respond, then it's probably you know, yeah, bad for them. Um, but I'm very curious because you you were basically like 16 or, or 17 or maybe mm -hmm. older at the time when you were at Seagraph 2006. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was around. 16. And, yeah, and, uh, and how, so how do you explain, you know, going to Seagraph, meeting that person, and suddenly mm -hmm. being invited to direct a short? Well, let me just preface all this 
and by saying it made it makes no sense at all like it really <laughs> is it truly will forever be the mo- the luckiest sort of uh, break that I've ever gotten in my career and probably ever will okay because it, it just it doesn't make any sense but um, I got a chance to show Tom my work at yeah. that time um, and it, it really it actually culminated in like there was an open uh, you know, like slot at the booth and they didn't have anyone to present. Yeah. And he was like, why don't you just present? And I literally got up and showed at SIGGRAPH some of the work I was doing with Blender, uh, visual effects, compositing stuff for a high school film of mine, you know, and I was like presenting it in this wow. very professional context, which was a really big nerve wracking deal for me. <laughs> and whatever, there was like probably eight people listening. But, it, but still, it's, you got to present at SIGGRAPH. Yeah, I think I made a good impression on him and I think that was when he began to kind of keep tabs of the work that I was putting online. Because right. I, I had, uh, you know, a, a website and a little fake production company, and I was making movies and, and posting them, and a lot, of, a lot of my visual effects work, if it was a live-action thing, was all done in Blender. And um, if I was also pursuing just animation on its own, uh, that, that was all Blender. So, um, and then there was sort of this intermediate step where I knew they were... They were going to do a second open movie project, um, and it ultimately ended up being this film called Big Buck Bunny, which is fairly oh, well yeah. known on the internet. Totally. <laughs> and I applied to be an artist on that and ended up being on the waiting list. So there were two artists they wanted to bring on but didn't quite have the budget to do, Yeah. and I was one of them. So during that period of time, you know, he was reviewing my portfolio among, uh, along with the director of that project. And we had an exchange about that, and uh, it was it was kind of a near miss. I and see. And I just kind of went on with my life. And a couple years later is when I literally got an email out of the blue offering me the directing gig for the third movie. Wow. Which is, again, it makes no sense. Because there was no vetting process. It, it just sort of... Would you want to direct it? Yeah. <laughs> like, we have an animator ready. We have a composer. We have an right. editor. We're just missing a director. And, and uh, apparently, <laughs> they, two other directors had been uh, approached and were not able to do it. So okay. I think a lot of my uh, career trajectory would have completely been different if, if one of those guys had said yes. Of so course. very lucky from a number of perspectives. But um, I think it really came down to he was looking for a director who, uh, you know, who's, who, who was very familiar with Blender, who was a fan of Blender, who, you know, it really had to come from the Blender community, yeah. which really limited the pool pretty significantly. I imagine, yeah. And then, you know, someone who, whose focus is more on the directing side, on the storytelling side, rather than the technical uh, side of putting an image together or, you know, rather than a modeler. You know, I was... I was I was really filmmaking oriented, um, and so um, combine that with the fact that we'd met a couple times, and he was he'd seen the work I was doing. I think he just he really took a shot on me, and I'm I'm eternally grateful. I'll just do a sidebar because not all of my listeners are VFX artists, and I'll say Blender to people who don't know is an open source uh, animation software. I think it's probably one of the only ones. So uh, the industry is dominated by software like Maya. Um, 3D Studio Max, Cinema 4D. You know, Cinema 4D for motion graphics, and Blender uh, is a very powerful uh, solution that is not very uh, super adopted in like studios yet. There's a few studios that are using it, and actually, my first guests on this, like my episode one yeah. guests, are uh, two directors, uh, 
Kevin Adams and uh, Joe Sander, who directed a feature, a Netflix feature that uh, was entirely done on Blender, Next which gen. I think is the first one to do that, or one of the first uh, full-length yeah. feature done entirely on Blender. Um, yeah, the game is changing. I think it's uh, yeah. a lot more people are starting to adopt it, and uh, the latest release, Blender 2.8, is really a huge step forward for the software, and I think for the industry as well. I think a lot of people are, are taking note. And I hear that there's some kind of a learning, there's something about a learning curve in Blender that people are kind of uh, worried I th- I about. I think it's got uh, that reputation and certainly, especially in the days before 2.5, uh, which is sort of when I discovered it, it was kind of, I mean, it just works completely differently than other s- software. And, and the, uh, the most ridiculous and obvious thing to point to is that it's right click to select. Oh. Uh, rather than left click like the rest of the your entire experience <laughs> on a computer and that has finally been changed for 2.8 so there's a lot oh, I think wow. the latest version which is a pretty massive rewrite and rethink and redesign uh, is a lot more friendly and maybe familiar to people who are comfortable using Maya or Max or something gotcha. like that and, and also to to, po- to point to the fact that in the last Seagraph just a few weeks ago yeah you were there at the Blender booth volunteering, and <laughs> right. so it's still your... And I've noticed also on your latest short, Blender appears at the end, so you did right. use it for, for Yeah, the all the visual on. effects for Skywatch, this uh, sci-fi short we'll talk about, uh, yeah. were, were done in, in Blender. And it's just because there's, that's, those are, that's the tool set that I'm comfortable with. So, yeah, yeah and, and uh, going back to that first experience and this uh, sort of nonsensical uh, trajectory, right. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, I'll... Uh, if you were to okay, so you were given a let's say an opportunity that you you know that that uh, destiny is still kind of scratching its head right. about how did they <laughs> you know how did you get that opportunity, um, but then you you were you got more opportunities and further opportunities to do similar right. things. So clearly, um, even if it was a mistake, it wasn't a right. bad mistake. It was a good right. mistake. Um, what do you um, how do you explain kind of like you know, your sense of like being ready to, to take on that role back when you were like 18 to yeah. direct, uh, to direct a short, what, you know, you clearly had something already like learned or, or, or yeah. figured out by then to be it's able funny, to do that. It's funny. It's funny. Cause I feel like, uh, in a lot of ways I have the same exact skill set that I had when I was 17 and the difference now is that I have a bit more of a resume to support that skill set, but uh, I sort of feel like I was ready on a technical level to do the work that I'm doing now at that age. I think the biggest difference is more on a personal and psychological maturity level. <laughs> right. It's like you didn't know that you can do it until you did it, I'm, yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah. Or... And, then, and just like being able to handle work-life balance and being able to not over, you know, your identity is pretty fragile as a, you know, as a teenager and as, you know, coming into yourself. And I think I wasn't ready for, for a number of those personal reasons. But, um, you know, I'm, this, you know, people take note when you say that you've worked at Pixar. Right. And I think that I learned a lot at Pixar. But I think I knew a lot more. Like, I, my skill set is still 80% pre-Pixar, like, right. understanding, which a lot of it is self self-taught a lot of it is just being observant a lot of it is sensibilities that have been developed through just uh osmosis you know um are you talking about watching movies essentially yeah Uh, yeah but also 
uh, just trying to be a student, you know, mm-hmm. reading and, and watching behind the scenes materials. You know, I was uh, ravenous about, you know, I, I would buy the DVDs for the, all the, for the commentary, for the special features. And, yeah. um, and for whatever reason, I was the type of person, especially online, especially when it came to like um, more amateur work, I would hit play, I would watch it. And then I would rewind and watch it again and rewind and watch it again and kind of break down what are the choices being made? Why doesn't this scene work? And then when it comes to animation, I would pause and frame through it wow. and frame yeah. through it again. And I'm just just observing, I'm just learning like the craft, like how do, how do, how do you put images like this on the screen? Um, combine that with the time and curiosity in a software like Blender or After Effects or Premiere or you know, playing around with cameras. I think I would just loved learning and discovering. And, and for the most part, it was uh, a self-guided <laughs> approach. It was right. like, well, this is fun and I want to get better. And I'm trying to think about, like we're going back in time a bit to, to those earlier. It used to be a bit harder than it is, I think, today to like scrub through frame by frame. Yeah. Unless... Well, quick time, it's funny because like there was a period of time where on YouTube, there wasn't tools to... Yeah, frame by frame. Out. But before YouTube, there was only Sorensen 3 codecs. Right. QuickTime, you download something and you hit play. And so that's, uh, I guess, where I I think a lot of the work I'm talking about was literally just downloaded. Yeah. I had like a, I had an external hard drive with an inspiration folder and a lot of Tyson's work oh, yeah. is still in there. You know. Oh, I would watch his stuff frame by frame oh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> like, how the hell is he getting so much action in so little time, right? Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, so I think QuickTime is uh, for people who don't know. Like you know, download QuickTime. It's uh, it's it's your, you could you know you could learn from it. <laughs> college, your, your college tuition. I feel, feel like it's pretty deprecated now, or I don't know. You QuickTime? can do less and less with it. I'm yeah, still using old QuickTime Pro Seven or whatever. Me, I don't know. I'm <laughs> I have like five different players and whatever pops yeah. up, whatever plays whatever I'm trying to play. And, right. You know, um. But yeah, I mean I, that makes sense. Did you also like uh, buy any any books and and you know I have like yeah I'm seeing some of those like shot by thing. shot yeah right there yeah. on your uh, <laughs> shelf that, that uh, yeah it's funny that's uh, I I just realized yesterday because we were just like putting those books up yesterday yeah, that okay. we both me and my wife have copies of shot by shot so <laughs> if you want to spare I, I can just give you one <laughs> that's funny we don't need both of yeah them. pretty sure I have that one but um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Animator Survival Kit, I remember pouring through and then I, I literally yeah. kind of copied that walk cycle and I bought a little light box thingy that wasn't like a animator's thing, but it was, you know, it kind of did the trick and um, I was just kind of curious to, because I, I wasn't much into drawing, but I kind of like to do web design and photography and yeah. film was just one of those uh, one of those things. Um, so I guess it was just like making stuff that I felt pretty compelled to do and uh it ended up culminating in this directing experience where i I moved to amsterdam and got to lead a team and and that's where i really feel like i got the directing bug because that was the first time i had really uh been given uh, a position of creative control and uh an opportunity to tell a story in in you know, in film. So you were 18, you moved to Amsterdam to direct no, a film? No, so or was uh, it I went to after? film school, and I think it was my junior year, it was after the make internship, et cetera, yeah. where, so years had passed. So I think I was actually 21 hmm. when I got that chance. I see. Um, but I was in school and I dropped out. <laughs> like, to do that. Right, 
and I ultimately ended up coming back to get my degree, but I took what ended up being a year off of school wow. to move to Amsterdam and pursue this directing opportunity. Sounds like a good deal to me. <laughs> yeah. I would have done the same. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I was very lucky. But I'm um, but but at that point, like when you were given that chance to direct your first short, I'm sure I'm assuming he's he has seen other things they've directed, like right. since you've already been uh, Yeah, but yeah. I think there may have been one project which was sort of, sort of a um it was an entry for a national contest yeah uh it was actually the coca-cola refreshing filmmakers award is what it was called and um and essentially i'd gotten a small budget to make a 50 second ad slash film gotcha. for coke uh, for diet <laughs> coke the product and um that was the first project that had a crew there wasn't just me and my brothers making movies in our backyard <laughs> it was uh you know we shot it on film we wow. had 30 people on set it was you know a real actor wow <laughs> in a real location and it, it was like that was the i guess the first kind of legit feeling directing uh experience i had and i think it was just uh that combined with my high school shorts yeah, that, that and combined of. with my blender work, where I was really I was posting work as an artist, um, that got me considered. Yeah. So if you, because I, you know, like if you could walk us a bit through the process of how you did, like for instance that coke thing or even the blender thing, because I'm curious to know how the uh, your experience as a 3D artist, blender on, on blender, and also you know just kind of. Um, I guess passion for animation, which he clearly has. Yeah. How did how did that inform your uh, first few kind of filmmaking experience with a crew? Uh, right. In terms of your preparation, did you storyboard? Did you approach right. it in a certain way that you think might have been different had you been more kind of a traditional filmmaker that doesn't have that animation experience? Totally. Yeah, I think I'm very uh, I, I'm very much a filmmaker. You know, even if I'm pursuing live action more these days, who who, who came came from animation, right. and uh, part of that is even just understanding from special features like what the Pixar process is, and and the fact that you can make these uh, story reels, you know, as a as a way to sort of pre-visualize uh, a film. Uh, I think I'm a very preparation-oriented filmmaker maybe because of uh, the animation side of things. So story reels are essentially storyboards that you kind of put together, you, you, you cut them together as animatics. You sometimes right. even would record some dialogue lines and kind of totally. play them as they would play on the screen, only using very kind of rough drawings as, as a base. Yeah, And exactly. um, yeah, that's the process that Pixar uses essentially, or any pretty, pretty much every, every big VF animation company or animation studio right uh uses and i think because my 3d skills are stronger than my drawing ability mm -hmm. uh you know i would jump pretty quickly from boards into previs yeah but for the coke commercial it's a great question you know i was a sophomore in college and i still uh i i previs the whole thing really? I, you could hit play and watch the commercial before we shot it and um I think that has actually been one thing that has it's 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 not exactly a secret weapon. Everyone knows previs, but since I can do it myself, it's been a a, a shortcut in a, right. a lot of ways to um, create cinematic and uh, 
high production value pieces of work. Yeah, and I think that you know, I mean, I'm from from where I'm come from coming from in terms of like you know doing having directed low budget mm-hmm. uh, features. I can say, previs is something that uh, is widely used on big features, right? Big budget features. When right. you come to lower production, lower budget productions, or even commercials, if they're on a certain budget, uh, previs is probably one of the first things that are that get thrown out the door in terms of like, no, we can't afford that, or this is a luxury that you know we can live without. Unfortunately, right. because I think it's super important. Right. Um, so being a director that can actually do it yourself. Um, you and me as well, yeah. I think is a great advantage, especially if you work on projects that don't inherently kind of offer you that, you know, the luxury of, of right. having, having that budget to have people work on it. I think also just uh, a, a, an understanding of the visual effects process has been in, like really crucial to the, I mean, it's also, you can't separate it. It's like the types of projects I do kind of lean into yeah. uh, that kind of knowledge base that I have. And I mean, I think there's a lot to be Game. I, like, I think strategy-wise, it's good. I mean, you should lean into your strengths or what you can right. do and what maybe sets you apart. But um, but certainly just knowing what's a big deal in the visual effects world or knowing the process, being familiar with it, you know, it just allows you to be more resourceful, allows you to stretch the dollar uh, when, you're, when you're shooting something, um, you know, use your time more effectively on set. If you yourself are capable of painting out this or that, you know, yeah. uh, or, uh, you know, if you can improve a composition on set, but you're aware it will take, you know, it, that means it's going to be a little bit of a visual effects hit. Sometimes you can just, yeah. you can weigh those decisions. And if you're really, your goal is creating something of, you know, maximum cinematic quality or whatever, you know, it, it, it's, it's so useful to kind of have that background as well. So oh, totally, and the, I think yeah, pre, from the pre-visualization side and to the you know to post, it's um, I'm really thankful that I was developing those skills because there's so many filmmakers you know um, who I really respect and who have really successful careers and everything, but you know who who's uh, uh, who might you know just not have that understanding. And right. I think it does in a lot of situations give you a leg up. Yeah. So before kind of jumping in, because I really want to talk about your um, your own shorts and yeah. the recent, most recent one and and the ones that led to it and uh, and kind of your strategy moving forward because yeah. it's you know it's something that kind of like that's the focus of the podcast really. Right. Just quickly to talk about layout in at Pixar, mm-hmm. um, it's not a very um, well known part of the process I think for people right. like people know okay there's animators who yeah. animate the characters there's modelers who model the characters and there's like maybe they know about lighters and you know and, and render artists and, right. and things like that but layout is one of those things where I mean even when we talked you kind of like huh, for a second there you told me a little bit you, you felt the need to explain, explain what layout what is, is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was head of layout in a different company so I so that's probably the only reason why face. I know yeah. what it is uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, tell a little bit, you know, very briefly about what layout is and, and then we'll... Yeah, okay, well, you can help me uh, define it because it's actually kind of <laughs> difficult to explain. I feel like, I mean, my mom still kind of only has a vague idea of what it was that I was doing at Pixar. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think the only reason I was able to get to a place like Pixar is because layout is kind of, uh, it's like a side, secret side entrance where, because film schools, animation schools, they're not teaching you layout. They are right. teaching all these other specialists uh, positions and, and therefore there isn't as much of a long line, 
you know, banging on the door to, to get into studios. Oh, that's good to know. It's a good tip. For yeah, it is. Are... And actually, a lot of layout artists at various studios, or at least at Pixar, come from all sorts of different backgrounds. 2D layout was a thing in, in, the, in the days of traditional animation at Disney, and that, that's more like backgrounds, honestly. Backgrounds, drawings uh, uh, that will literally sit behind the characters and the character animation oh, in interesting. 2D I know that. film, uh, in 2D animation. And so there's a group of layout artists in 3D who kind of came through the 90s and, and kind of made that transition, even though the job description now is pretty different. Right. There are people from stop motion. Um, you know, one of my good friends, Patrick Lynn, uh, you know, worked on James and the Giant Peach, I think. And uh, uh, that is, there's even a little bit more of a, of a, a one-to-one because there's just a photography element right there. My buddy Adam, who is the DP of Onward, um, he came, he went to USC and mm-hmm. studied film and cinematography. He is a, a live-action DP before going to Pixar. There's uh, people like my friend Leo Santos who worked at Blur as an animator and then oh. a director and then ended up in layout. Um, really? So it's kind of a hodgepodgey group, which is pretty cool. He was a director at Blur and then he went on to doing layout yes. at Pixar. Yeah. Cool. Um, but uh, I think... I think he was, you know, more primor- primarily an animator. There's a lot of a lot of skills that all kind of overlap into what layout is, and I think the easiest way of explaining it is is previs is the word previs because people I think are more familiar with previs than the word layout, um, and uh, you know, for visual effects movies in particular, as we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, especially for for scenes that involve like any Marvel fight scene, you know, how the heck do you make that? You know, right. uh, uh, you might have some a page of do- a, a script where it's like Thor, you know, swings his hammer, and you know, uh, <laughs> but it's hard to visualize, and and you can go from there to storyboards. Um, but really, as soon as you jump into 3D and you've got the actual characters and you've got a, a virtual set to work with and you've got uh, actual timing you animate the characters doing the thing and then you you have cuts and you you actually cut a sequence together right and camera lenses and figuring yep. out how yeah you're choosing where to place the camera what the camera is doing the the relative motion the staging and blocking of the characters yeah all this work is figured out in this previous step and then you kind of know what you need to shoot <laughs> like right. in live action it's like okay yeah. we need this and this and this visual effects plate against green screen to mm-hmm. make this previs sequence you know, executed. Right. Uh, and, and then it goes through the visual effects pipeline. And for the most part, the visual effects artists are focused on the shot. Like these are, you know, these 79 frames, uh, this is happening. And, you know, you make those beautiful, but it cuts together well because it was done in previs and all that was figured out um, earlier. So that's layout for animation is basically the same thing. Yeah. Where you're handed, in, in the case of Pixar, storyboards. And they generally are fairly tight they're pretty they're already the movie's working pretty well the, they're pretty timed right because yeah. they have those story reels and they have cut them together with sound with uh, scratch tracks exactly and, uh, and sometimes and it's not scratch dialogue it, actually most of the time it's the, the recording dialogue. from the uh you know from the cast oh cool um so you've got the real dialogue to work with it's usually temp music which you you know sometimes we pull out or whatever but um essentially you're first pass of layout 
you kind of want to execute the boards as well as possible. Yeah. And um, but a lot of times there's transition. Once you're going from 2D to 3D, you're dealing with the actual set and the size differences between characters because rarely yeah. are you making a, a, a movie at Pixar that's just humans. Um, <laughs> like True. there's there's a lot of uh, sort of compositional and staging challenges to make a sequence just flow and work. And so which movies did you work on at Pixar? I'm just curious. Yeah, I got the chance to work on seven projects. Four of them were features. Wow. Uh, so Monsters University was my first one. I worked uh-huh. on Inside Out um, for over a year. Um, the Good Dinosaur, um, Finding Dory. Those wow. were my four features. So I left before Coco. And uh, worked on a bunch of shorts, uh, Toy Story of Terror. Toy Story of Terror was an ABC special, <laughs> Halloween special, uh, sort of a 30-minute thing. And um, I was the camera DP for Lava, which is the singing volcano theatrical short it. before Inside Out. Wow. So you got camera DP credit on Lava. Yeah. I think it actually says camera supervisor. And I'm just, I'm just puffing myself up by saying camera DP. But now they're handing out that credit for, for the shorts. Aww. So uh, I, got, I, I was a little... So- for, be, for people that don't know, they, they have multiple uh, DP credits because usually one person is in charge of camera, which I'm assuming is mm-hmm. lenses and, and angles and everything that has to do with the movement of the camera and then a separate DP that has to do with lighting and, uh, you know, the optics. Because they're the, very different departments and different parts of the pipeline because yeah. layout comes so early and lighting comes in very after late. animation. Even though these days there's a lot of pre-lighting that's happening I'm sure. uh, from, yeah. the, from the outset. Um, Which makes sense because, yeah. you know, you want to design your sets in a way that the light makes sense and w- yeah. would work. And technology uh, is, is evolving to the point where there's a lot more lighting that can be indicated, at least in the yeah. layout phase. So, you know, we're trying to uh, sell sort of a cinematic tone as much as possible. So mm-hmm. if it's a moonlit scene, we want to kind of suggest that in our sort of more crappy uh yeah. busy kind of <laughs> which stuff. gets less and less crappy over time <laughs> yeah which right is cool. exactly yeah um yeah when i was in layout it was uh 2004 or 5 mm-hmm. when i worked in at snowball in israel and uh yeah we pretty much kind of you know we didn't follow any traditional pipeline or workflow we kind of made it up as we went we just happened to make up the the same things that other companies have solved you know before us right uh so we kind of like you know i remember just say sitting down one day and be like i think we need a layout department here or or like i don't even i think i called it something else not layout but just you know (laughs) in retrospect was like oh yeah it's called layout and they they've done it before and you're right we do need that and right (laughs) i actually had the same experience actually so the reason why i ended up getting hired at pixar i think was primarily because i did what we called layout on Sintel, the animated film I did at Blender Animation Studio. Yeah. And the only reason I did layout at all for that is because I had just watched the Monsters, Inc. special features, and I was like, this is how you make animation. There's a whole <laughs> process called layout. Let me do it, you know? That's and that cool. became my reel, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, exactly. that's, that's brilliant. That's, uh, like, the perfect kind of, uh, um you know, cause and effect scenario <laughs> in, right. like, how do you move, how do you propel yourself, uh, you know, professionally in, in in life you know right. like i need i have a necessity i just spoke with my wife the other day about how i remember when i was like i think i was 13 or 12 or something like that and one of my you know spare time hobbies was like to to design websites yeah back then yeah the internet i mean i don't Pre-CSS. it was like 
Yeah, pre-CSS yeah. is JavaScript I used <laughs> right. for uh, uh, for dynamic HTML kind yeah. of in interpolation and stuff. And I remember um, trying to use uh, scripts, use code to 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 make a few objects like visual objects move in a circle. Yeah. And trying as much as for the in the mess of my knowledge to use linear, you know, algebra or whatever it was yeah. to, to like you know <laughs> figure out how to do that until I realized I don't. I think there's a there's a missing piece that I just don't know. Yeah. And then I learned what uh, sines and cosines are. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> and I think it was like kind of course coinciding with uh, we were just about to learn that at school. Yeah. Right. But I. I didn't have the patience to wait until we get got right. there, so I just had my mom kind of sit down and like explain, <laughs> just explain science. Now I can't wait for this, you know, yeah. for, for for school to, You're to one get of the me only there. Students who had a practical use for the math. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like we're all kids and stuff, and I'm like, get me the results. I need the results yeah. now. <laughs> like, <laughs> skip the you know, skip the the class uh, class examples. I, I need it for practical reasons. Yeah, learning about, I think it was sort of in a, uh, I forget what math class it was, but learning about, you know, what a tangent is. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, tangent handles. You know, yeah. I know what that is. Exactly. <laughs> like, just, well, why didn't you just say that? Right. Tangent yeah. handles, right. Just because, you know, working in a graph editor, you're basically doing the math, Yeah. you know, under the hood. It was, it was, it was really like a, a cool moment. Uh, like, yeah. You're like, well, for <laughs> me, it's also interesting because I, um, I mentioned English is not my tongue, my mother tongue. I, I grew up in Israel and I spoke mostly Hebrew as a kid. I did know English, um, but I wasn't like using it on a daily basis. Mm. And I remember a lot of my voc early vocabulary was uh, CG software vocabulary. You know, like I was like, I knew what, what a vertex meant before I knew the actual meaning of the word vertex. And actually, I'm not even sure I still know. I, to this day, I'm not sure what the vertex actually stands for, besides the dots that connect right. uh, polygons. And uh, um, but yeah, I remember just like you know later on as I as my vocabulary in English kind of grew, I was like, oh, that that's how they actually use that word ah, right. in real life. That's <laughs> the what, real world. The real world scenario for this. Yeah. Um, um, that's pretty funny. Cool. So I mean, I think maybe it's time uh, to kind of segue and to talk a bit about. Um, Skywatch, which is your recent short, mm -hmm. um, and not talk about any spoilers quite yet. We're going to kind of split this episode into two and do like second, uh, second half will be about, uh, if you can still bear with me. Cool, yeah, sounds good. Um, <clears throat> but before we go uh, and move into that, I wanted to uh, kind of ask you more on the traditional post-post-podcast uh, um, format. What is your... You know, you're pretty young, so I usually ask this for pe from people who kind of have a, a longer look. But yeah. you've, but you have a pretty long career behind you already, I could say. So, yeah. it's, so uh, looking I back, am in if my you, now. Uh, oh, okay, so you're not young at yeah. all. Sorry, you're like old. <laughs> Over the hill. Over the hill, man. <laughs> Sorry, it's actually. You look younger than that. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> this beard has recently come in, though. I'm pretty proud of it. Oh, congrats! Thanks. Congrats. It took That's, me better part of a decade <laughs> yeah I, I feel like i'm still not there like I, I try but it's still not uh to my satisfaction yeah right so. it was well you got fewer patches than me that looks pretty pretty no even. i think i got a lot of patches <laughs> <laughs> but this is a podcast so we right. can paint can whatever picture imagine. we want right, exactly. yeah 
think it's a very lush beard that I'm wearing right now. It's like yes, it's indeed. <laughs> scruffing against the mic. <laughs> um, what uh, what did I was gonna say? Oh yeah. Um, looking back, like uh, you know, you mentioned that you were definitely uh, as you started out less emotionally prepared for you know for that role mm. as you are now. Mm. Um, so if you had kind of look back what what advice would you give yourself if you could like now looking you know with your experience really good good question um well i'm a very anxious person still am but certainly uh when i was you know 20 or whatever was a lot more anxious and uh i just was very impatient Mm -hmm. you know and uh demanding of myself and my you know, it was very important to me to 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 become a director. You yeah. know, I was I think I've I've been very goal oriented for most of my life, and for whatever reason, kind of fell into that <laughs> that goal. Like I I I, uh, I think going into college, I wasn't exactly sure if I wanted to be uh, going to visual effects or animation or film. But I think you know by my junior year or whatever, I kind of had you know, found this, um, this passion and this goal. And, uh, I think it was kind of unhealthy to, to be so sort of single-minded and to be so, um, identity driven, you know, it's Mm. like, do you want this for the right reasons and how much is status oriented and ego oriented and, you know, uh, how much of it is about respect and, and because it's the top of the pyramid in terms of, like, power structure and that kind of thing. And you feel like it had a negative effect on your process? Um, no, I think it's just it's taken more, me some time to, to chill out and to <laughs> kind of accept uh, that everyone has their own path. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm in my 30s and still pretty much a struggling, uh, aspiring filmmaker. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that if I had capitalized better on my uh, potential, maybe I would uh, be less of a balanced human. You know, if I, yeah. if I had actually reached my dreams by now, I think that, uh, I, you know, I, I feel more grounded, obviously, than I, than I would if, if I had achieved, like my directing dreams you know making features and all that kind of thing at a young age um, wow that's a interesting observation i mean i think a lot of people look uh look at their kind of age and and where they are in, in their career and like well, well you know if i had worked harder i would have gotten there faster and mm. you know that's i think a common kind of thought and you're kind of bringing a new perspective to that like know, you know yeah, maybe I you mean, need time maybe it should take you a while and it shouldn't be an easy you know an easy thing to acquire maybe it's uh it takes time for a good reason and that time is something you should yeah i don't know if i'm just from. saying that uh but i definitely feel <laughs> to feel better no <laughs> right exactly but the fact that i'm not there yet i mean uh, um not every uh project or it's not a linear path i mean no no path is and uh giving yourself permission to grow and develop and and have a personal life and you know i was i was very uh, single-minded and a workaholic. I still feel essentially the same. Yeah. Um, I was comforted by some of what I think you got, you and Tyson got into on that podcast about the work-life balance and and just his, you know, psychological makeup. You know, I I, I think there's there's something that compelled me to, you know, prefer to be in front of my computer than go out and hang with friends. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, there's good, th- good, good things about that, and there's bad things about that. For uh, sure. So I feel like, you know, now I feel a little bit more like a complete human being, <laughs> and that's uh, uh, maybe not answering the question of what advice I would give myself, but um, it's just a reflection of the journey I've been on, I guess. As no, a I think it's a perfect artist. answer. Yeah. 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 I think the advice is like, you know, let it be. Don't yeah. uh, don't I mean, be too hard going. on yourself. And have, have faith that it's going to work out. I still have faith it's going to yeah. work out. But I'm I have not figured out how to make a career out of this. I mean, that's that's the state that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, having left Pixar, it, I'm still three years later, wondering if that was the right decision because oh, wow. I I'm uh, I'm not I don't have a sustainable career yet. You know, so so maybe it's like actually yeah. a good 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 uh, opportunity uh, to yeah. talk a little bit about Skywatch yeah. before we. So this is going to be the spoiler-free version okay. of our conversation about Skywatch. I don't want to like, you know, finish the episode without talking about it because I don't. I you know, I'm sure people want to know mm-hmm. what is it what it is that you have, uh, or what is the the most recent project that you worked on, which yeah. is Skywatch, which I yes. got a chance to get a sneak peek of. Um, what can you tell about it right now? I know it's it hasn't been it hasn't been released yet. It hasn't been it hasn't even premiered yet, right? Right. Um, yeah, this has uh, been a bit of an albatross for me the past uh, five or six years. It's the longest project I've ever worked on. Wow. And it's only a ten-minute short film, but it's a proof of concept for a sci-fi feature, uh, relatively you know medium-sized budget in the grand scheme, but big budget for for one's debut. Yeah. Um, for for a sci-fi feature that uh, we are developing and hoping to get set up, um, and so this is kind of a a sales tool, you know, in some respects, but um, trying to make it a really entertaining, fun ride, an experience worth you know uh, watching out of the context of of its broader ambitions. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's taken so long because we ju- it just has a whole lot of visual effects. We we bit off a whole lot, you know, yeah. uh, just in terms of number of shots and the complexity and and also our visual standards. We were just trying to make something that felt, you know, really high production value, something you could. You know, you know, hit play on Netflix and kind of see something at the same level of quality execution-wise. Yeah, and having seen it, I can say it is pretty <laughs> much w- what you set out to do. So when you say it was a long process, mainly because of VFX, because it took time to, to do the VFX or because it took time to prepare, uh, how long ago did you guys shoot? We shot this film in 2014. Oh, so the photographer, so you ha- you've had those plates sitting around for quite a while yeah. and just working on... Yeah, in post for most of this time, yeah. Um, there, I mean, part of it also is uh, that we have high standards, not just visually, but on the, you know, the, the, the quality of the storytelling. Yeah. And um, it became pretty clear after kind of cobbling together the first edit that yeah. um, it wasn't kind of firing on all cylinders. And we kind of had to assess, like, how to address that problem. And... Um, Fortunately, I was able to put together uh, some reshoots, very, oh. very, very selective and and, and targeted. Yeah. Um, but I kind of cobbled together, like a scene that was like, basically I, I re-edited a scene with storyboards. It's like here's a real shot, here's the line that I want to shoot. Oh, you know? I see. And then here's a real shot again, and um, we got the actors back together a whole year after the fact, oh. and shot you know uh, some stuff, and hopefully you didn't notice. That they look older or I different. Did not know. <laughs> um, and then, uh, kind of, we we ended up having um, 
like probably four or five of those types of mini shoots. You yeah. Know? And sometimes it's just grabbing elements. Sometimes um, I, for the cameo, <laughs> which we may talk about, we we got on a plane and flew halfway across the world. Oh wow! Um, I so, didn't know that. Okay. Uh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's uh, it was really um, we took our time with yeah with uh, just trying to elevate every aspect of the film as as best as we could for the budget that we had right which is pretty small i see and uh did you do other short films before that like, or is this kind of like i mean i know you did shorts for the blender foundation i'm mm-hmm. talking about like live action or like personal projects that you did in, in similar with a similar agenda or yeah. kind of well, reason this is my first personal project that has sort of broader goals than just the, the short film in and of itself um, but i have been making shorts for since I was, you know, uh, in middle school, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, most of them are pretty crappy, uh, but I've made a lot more live-action fil- films than than animated. Okay. Um, but the two animated shorts that I did for the Blender Animation Studio are the most high-profile, pro- probably. Right. Um, but I went to film school, and so I've made a bunch of uh, short narrative, live-action films that um, that I think. Uh, were really instrumental and, 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 you know, great learning experiences. And I, I, I'm still proud of, of them on a storytelling level, too. Um, and a lot of my Skywatch crew, my producer, my visual effects supervisor, I met uh, about 10 years ago in film school on one of my uh, earlier live-action shorts. So, oh, I see. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I've, this is probably... I actually tallied them up recently for a presentation I was giving, and I've made... 30 or so shorts uh wow you know since i was 15 that's a lot i'm only proud of like four of them you know the last four (laughs) or five (laughs) but 30 that's quite a bit of uh kind of of yeah i mean keep in mind most of those are literally my brothers in our backyard you know and and three minutes long you know uh something i could maybe turn around in a week or two yeah but every time you start a project every time you you go from a script because i was writing scripts to storyboards because i was doing boards to you know a shoot and then editing it and then trying to make the story work or trying to get close to the vision that you had to begin with yeah man you just learn so much and it's like just through the process the sheer process of iteration yeah and just doing it over and over that i feel like i developed my sensibilities and and technical uh skill as well yeah i mean there's no practice like well there's nothing like practice (laughs) essentially like you know yeah so uh wow that's incredible and when you decided to do uh skywatch as a as a short as kind of like your first personal project with uh with a bigger purpose which is to kind of create a calling card for yourself as a director and try to like spin it off into a bigger feature um were you inspired by other similar yeah exactly kind of projects i was at the time (laughs) and and hollywood has moved on (laughs) but at the time there were a lot of i was seeing a lot of sci-fi shorts getting picked up getting deals getting you know um bought uh, and then developed into features. For instance, which um, Well, like one of the early classic examples is Neil Blomkamp that, uh, and uh, Alive in Joburg, which was right. t- turning to D- District 9. You know, mm-hmm. that was years later. I mean, he, he, was, uh, he was another one of those guys I really looked up to, and I was aware of his work back in the Vancouver Film School days, and yeah. he was posting his animation stuff that was just mind-blowing, and then we had this commercial career, and I saw that short, you know, and... Uh, 
you know, it was like five, probably five years before Peter Jackson kind of got involved and yeah, and, and jump started with uh, right with District Nine. Right, but um, around the time that I made Sintel, Sintel uh, is 2009. We released it in 2010, I believe. Um, that was my first brush with Hollywood in a way because uh, we got you know we just put it online and um, but it got a really great response. And in those days, there was a single YouTube video that made it to the front page, like YouTube employees, some some uh, uh, I guess you know, programmer, I don't know, would would select a film to be on the front page of YouTube. Wow. You know, yeah. Globally. And um our film got there and um <laughs> and uh so we got you know a million views in the first, you know, week or less and um I ended up getting some emails from agents and you know Hollywood people and it became very clear that if you're not ready for that moment, you can't capitalize on it. Yeah. You know? Um and because they thing. all they all want you to come with with something for them to work on. They're not yeah. going to like just hand over, right. you know, the the best you know available script out there because that's going to go to Spielberg, indeed, <laughs> or you know, yeah. or someone else. But not you know they they expect you to come with your project. Yeah. And something if like. I had had a treatment, a yeah. pitch, a script for the feature version of Sintel. I feel like it would have been really interesting. You know, I, I think we would have had some really interesting conversations. Yeah. And maybe maybe it would have gotten made. Who knows? Um, like I said before, for, for various personal reasons, I don't know if I was ready for something like that. Yeah. But certainly on a practical level, on a sort of industry strategy level, I, uh, I realized that it's really all about the bigger picture and the yeah. bigger project. And if I was going to spend time... Uh, making shorts, you know, pretty soon I I came to the conclusion that I wanted those shorts to be uh, maybe more obvious sort of stepping stones to to work that I could actually get paid for. Because they really, I mean, it's unfortunate, but there just isn't a market for shorts. There's not a yeah. career in shorts as much as I think short form is as challenging and worthy of respect and you know, there's some brilliant, brilliant shorts out there that, that are just uh, little gems, you know. Yeah. Um, I wish there was more of a, of a career path <laughs> because I love making shorts. Um, I really, uh, uh, you got to focus on, on the broader strategy. And, um, and so while I've been working on the short film for Skywatch, I've been working on the feature script as well. And uh, the, that has been probably the greatest creative challenge of my life is yeah. writing a good script is is not my forte you know it's not my training and it's very new to me and it's been a struggle and on that scale and scope oh, like yeah. you're talking about something that you know sci-fi feature... sci too is just a very oh, yeah. challenging genre to jump into yeah so much of it is uh world building, world building and, and yeah, yeah exactly just uh, it's there's a lot less that you can take for granted, uh, yeah. Uh, because every it just takes place in its own world. It's sort of like writing for animation. It's really tough, and that's why it's generally not done. At least in <laughs> at, at Pixar, they've only recently begun um, doing complete drafts of future scripts before going into more story production. Like yeah. like uh, story reels, because uh, back in the '90s and whatever, it's like you would go from concept to pitches 
and story pitches, including images and, and boards, and uh, you would kind of skip over the writing process. Yeah, um, just kind in of some ways. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's. Uh, uh, I, I also worked on this film, Agent Three Two Seven, one of the Blender Animation yeah. Studio projects. I. I co-directed that one and that that too is a proof of concept it's oh. designed as a teaser for a feature that that studio is trying to develop and, and make its first animated feature okay yeah so <laughs> it's also possible that this would be your first feature theoretically yes and uh i feel like both of them are long shots yeah so i've been developing a really low budget thriller that, <laughs> that could also take that <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a very common uh, trend that I'm noticing. A lot of uh, directors. Uh, I have a, a colleague of mine, Ari Aster. I don't know if you've yeah. seen his uh, his film. He did Hereditary, and his uh, latest one is uh, Midsummer. I uh, haven't seen that one, but it sounds amazing. But he's in a in a similar state. He did a lot of shorts. He's not an yeah. animator. He's not a VFX artist. Um, he's a very visual director. He definitely does storyboard and treat his uh, directing as you know probably as, as meticulous as any of us. Yeah. <clears throat> And yet, uh, his first uh, opportunity to direct a feature came when he decided to finally write, uh, um, you know, a horror film as opposed to <laughs> what he usually does, right? Which is more twisted, like uh, comedy slash dramas that uh, isn't that interesting are a little yeah. bit less palatable in terms of you know or less uh, genre, kind yeah, of, uh, immediate. And uh, it does seem like a a a path, a model. You know, yeah. just as as you had brought up, uh, I was sort of following a model that I saw out there where you create a proof of concept sci-fi piece that gets bought and developed. You know, you can also, there's plenty of directors who get the start in horror. And yeah. uh, even Peter Jackson is one of those, right. those guys. It's like you can um, sort of milk. Or Gareth Edwards with totally. monsters. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, it's something where you can have a small scope and really build tension effectively and, yeah. and, and, and make something that's that really uh, a large audience responds to. And so, yeah, there's something about like that straight genre. Like horror is not my thing. Yeah, I do love thrillers, but um, you know, I'm writing a horror thriller basically. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm actually, yeah, that, that project I'm really excited about. I feel like it's, it's so much simpler than the sci-fi one is just hard to thread that needle story-wise right yeah um so i think i think there's some real logical reasons why it, it makes sense to start there um but yeah i kind of have you know i think it's smart to have multiple pokers in the fire and i hope that at least one of these projects becomes real one day <laughs> well i mean uh, there is a, a trailer out there for skywatch mm -hmm. uh which uh, i'll post uh, together in, in the show notes for this for this podcast and um it's it looks great the short itself is amazing Thank um you. you know it really just looks like a piece of a of a bigger high budget big budget feature that would be very fun to watch it's you know it stars uh, younger um uh, young adults uh yeah. who are kind of uh, a bit mischievous and they yeah. um and they have a brush with uh, technology right. that they didn't really expect uh, to have and it's uh i think it's you know, it's, it's something that kind of has the the, the groundwork for every like for a very very good, engaging kind of thrilling sci-fi piece. Thank uh, you. Lots of new technologies sure. that are being explored, drones and yeah. um, 
what I wanted to, before diving into the, talking a bit more about the short in a more spoilery fashion, which we'll say for next time, um, <clears throat> I wanted to uh, kind of give you the opportunity to uh, plug yourself. What do you, uh, like, how do people find you online? Uh, what are your kind of social media handles? And Sure. Uh, I've very recently uniformed them all they're like i was finally able to get the last handle in instagram the same as my twitter handle which is the same as my facebook which is the same as my uh, actual like uh website url so it's just my name now oh <laughs> colin levy c-o-l-i-n-l-e-v-y on all of the platforms which is a major uh accomplishment Con- congratulations for that i'm sure it's uh it probably took uh, took a while. To I paid out. someone something for one of them <laughs> back in the day, and then the other one I was just waiting for because it was kind of dormant, and it finally became available. So now on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Colin Levy. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome. I mean, I'm sure it's not easy because I, there probably a are Colin a few out there. Colin Levy's yeah, out. not a whole lot, but definitely. way for me, it's way easier. There's not a lot of David Gidalis out there. I'm not sure. <laughs> Awesome, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And that was another episode of the Post Post Podcast, episode 19, with Colleen Levy. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Our next episode is going to be with Todd Sheridan Perry, or Teaspoon. He is a VFX supervisor at Method Studios, and he has a lot of time to work from home, apparently. Um, I find his uh, lifestyle and work style very interesting, and can't wait to share his story with you on the next episode of the Post Post Podcast. Until then, stay inspired. Stay inspired.